And then acknowledging your greatness, your strength, you as healer, and your awesome power. We pray you'd reveal that to us now as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And turn with me to John 15 on page 764. We are looking at verse 18 down to verse 4 of chapter 16. Our theme for this morning is expect hatred and don't go astray. So aren't you glad you came? Let's read these words from John 15, beginning verse 18. Page 764. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus speaking. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We like to play a little bit of would you rather in, in our household. So Jonah likes to say things like, would you rather have teeth for hair or hair for teeth? And those kind of strange would you rathers. When you think about the passage like this and think about our experience in life, I mean, would you rather be loved or, or hated? Would you rather be popular or persecuted? Would you rather be included or excluded? Would you rather be accepted or rejected? Would you rather belong or be an outsider? I think we know how we all would, would answer in terms of our preference. And then we come to a passage like this, and the theme is expect hatred and don't go astray. And so when you come to a passage like this, it's evident that Jesus gives 
full disclosure to his disciples who he is preparing for his departure and all who come after, full disclosure on what to expect if you seek to follow this Jesus. He doesn't spin anything, doesn't sugarcoat things, doesn't try to deceive, but rather he says, I'm telling you all these things in advance so you know when it happens that this is what I told you to expect. And so we're not left in any room to say, oh, I'm finding this whole Jesus thing is difficult. It's not what I signed up for. But Jesus is saying, this is what you ought to expect if you come and, and follow me. And the interesting thing about which you would rather is that ultimately Jesus is giving you something that is even greater than the kind of acceptance we sometimes seek from the things around us. But he hasn't got there just yet. He's not doing some kind of reverse psychology on them. Rather, he is saying it to them because he wants to keep his disciples close and he wants them to know peace and to know encouragement. You see, he says in, in 16 uh, verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. And later in verse 32 of chapter 16 he says, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's telling them to give them peace so that they may take heart and so that they may be forewarned. But he is Warning them, he says, look, this is going to happen. And when it happens, I want you to bear in mind that I've got you, is what he is saying to them. My spirit will be with you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. Don't go astray. And of course, it's going to take time for them to get that idea. Because first, at first they do go astray. They do run away, as Jesus predicted. So failure was and is part of this experience, but later they remember, and with the help of Jesus' spirit, they do hold on, and so can you, and so can we, together. Now, last week, we were all talking about love, and this week, we're talking about hate. I don't think we've any national stamps celebrating hate. And this juxtaposition is very deliberate in Jesus' uh, description of, of what is ahead of them. We've been thinking about what it means to love one another. Love as I have loved you. Jesus is saying about as the Father loves me, I love you. And love one another in the sacrificial way that I have demonstrated to you. And now we're moving to this very opposite theme of hatred. Verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So he's setting up expectations for his first followers and all who come after and describing the reality of hatred and opposition as something that we need to expect. Notice he says, if the world hates you, now that has a very particular meaning in John. It doesn't just mean everything out there in the entire planet. Rather in John, it's talking about those who basically reject God and are not interested in anything 
got to do with Jesus. They don't think he is who he says he is. They are opposed to his authority and they want to go their own direction. That's what John means when he's talking about the world. It's opposition to God, opposition to Jesus, whether subtle or explicit. And Jesus is saying, when you, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they hated Jesus, it naturally follows that they'll, they'll hate in the same way those who associate with, with Jesus. And so if you feel that there is a very significant atmospheric change between what you are experiencing here at this time on a Sunday and what you experience at this time tomorrow, there is a reason for that. If you feel a sense of shame or embarrassment about Jesus, there's a reason for that. If you have been left out or excluded because people have heard that you're a Christian, Jesus says, keep in mind that they hated me first. Keep that in mind. And if you're new to these things, know that those who are your friends now might not be just so friendly if you start to talk about Jesus, the Bible, and church-related things. And for some of you here, and certainly in other countries around the world, your own family will disown you if you say you're following Jesus. And in some of your cultures, there is intense shame brought upon the family for abandoning the faith of your heritage in favor of Jesus. And there... Jesus is saying, you've got to expect that. Now, if we were to go out on the street and ask um, people to name some key hate figures, they might come up with Hitler, or Stalin, or Putin maybe at the moment, or, or Donald Trump even perhaps. But I don't think the name Jesus would immediately trip off people's tongue as a hate figure. But he was and is a hate figure. Jesus says, keep in mind that they hated me first. And he was hated actually the most by the religious type of people. They were offended and threatened by him and, and by what he said. And if you read through his life, opposition and death threats followed him everywhere he went, right from the very start of his life, never mind the start of his ministry, publicly. And proof that Jesus was a hate figure is, of course, seen most ultimately on, on the cross. There we see the reality of how much he was hated. And so if you associate with Jesus, you can expect to experience some of that same hatred. Whereas if you're going with the flow or if you keep everything private and have your own kind of private spirituality, well, you won't experience any of that. Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, verse 19. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And Jesus is telling this to give his followers some perspective, to help them, to equip them, so that they don't feel like something strange is happening to them whenever a sense of being pushed out to the fringes of their society occurs. I mean, we'd all rather a sense of belonging than being an outsider, to be loved rather than hated. The question is, where we want to belong, and who we want to be loved by. Because belonging and love is very much at the center of the Jesus way, but it puts you at odds with the values and worldview around you. 
and you will find yourself going against the flow and there will be a sense of unease and discomfort about that. But that will bring you to belong to something much greater, actually, and deeper and more true. And Jesus says, you don't belong because I have chosen you out of the world. Now that may not sound all that appealing to be called out of, of the world. Remember, Jesus is talking about opposition to, to him in terms of defining what he means by the world. And Jesus compels his hearers to see, look, I am bringing true life, true light, true goodness and wholeness. Life to the full, in fact. So it's not about being chosen out of enjoying good things or living with your head in the clouds or being the one person nobody wants to invite to any parties because you're no, you're no crack. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not expecting us all to go and live in a monastery, but that we've been chosen out of opposition to God and brought into a whole new identity and purpose now in Christ brought into the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, brought into that community, and brought into the community of the church. And that is transformational. There are mission weeks going on in campuses at the moment um, where the Christian unions are seeking to reach out with what Jesus has, has to say. And they sent uh, an update recently about how some of those are going. And one person, one young student said, my life has completely changed. It's so different to where I was a year ago. And in every way, I feel I have a much better perspective. I'm so thankful. That's what it means to be called out of the world and into this community of Christ. Though opposition will come with it. Jesus says, verse 20, Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey you also. So this pattern of if this happened to me, this will happen to you. As I am loved, I will love you. As I have loved, I want you to love. This patterned form of speaking is right through Jesus' discourse. And here he does it again. And he's saying to them, remember the words, if they um, I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You can't expect to follow Jesus and not follow his example. And his example was one of sacrificial love. Costly love. It involved being misunderstood, resented, rejected. All of which Jesus proved to be infinitely purposeful and he says verse 21 they will treat you this way because of my name for they do not know the one who sent me now we've been talking about the persecuted church and using this global guide from church and chains for praying for the persecuted church around the world and when you read this they have three different categories of persecution from limited to significant to severe so it's not the same in, in every country. And it's not going to be the same for every person or for all of us here. It differs person to person. Our personalities and contexts differ. Our families differ. Our jobs differ. And that's okay. You don't go looking 
for hatred. You don't go and try to be as hated as, as much as you can. And remember, it's about being hated for Christ, not because you're just plain unlikable <laughs> or do something really irritating that bugs people. This is about in context of your faith we're talking about. So it's not that how much hate you attract tells you how much you're loved by Jesus. It doesn't work like that. I mean, look at the bigger picture of the worldwide church as well as your personal experience. Talk to the people around you here. In our context, your opposition may be, su- may be more subtle. It might not be life-threatening, but it might be experientially threatening or lifestyle-threatening. Will you be accepted in your circles in the same way if people know you take the Bible seriously, that you believe Jesus' words have authority, have authority on issues of morality, has authority on issues of sexuality, has authority on issues of ethics, of the sanctity of life, of marriage. That may affect how people react to you. Even and especially when those convictions are not what are celebrated in the broad culture. Will your chances of promotion be higher if you just kept quiet about the whole Christian thing and said, this won't affect my work. My beliefs won't affect my work at all. Are you happy to come here on Sundays, but you just want to leave it at that because you don't want to be different once you leave this space? Have you noticed how being different how being different is profoundly celebrated and encouraged in our culture. Difference is top. If you be yourself, be different. Don't go with the flow. Don't be the same as everybody else. Just don't be different in a Christian kind of way. You notice that? Be different as different as you want. That's brilliant. Celebrate it. Put it out there. Don't let anybody put you down. Don't let society and culture put you down. Let's all celebrate you being whoever you want to be. Difference is good. Except if you want to be different in talking about Jesus. Now, don't be that kind of different. Why is that? It's because we've been chosen out of the world. That is why the world hates you, Jesus says. Jesus is explaining why that is. Because you're going counter to the cultural norms. And that is not loved. It's hated. And if you find yourself reacting very negatively, wanting to pull away from these words or resenting them, take a moment to allow yourself the space to see that that is exactly what Jesus said you ought to expect. And perhaps your resistance to Jesus and your sense of a rising hatred even coming into your experience. Can you see that that actually proves the very thing you're trying to avoid, which is following Jesus? Because he said, yeah, can you feel the pressure of my being around you and my spirit pressing into you? Do you find yourself wanting to hate and push totally away and run out into your comfort zone? You know why that is? It's because this Jesus is real. And this is what I said you would experience. 
And so your very resistance and the resistance of those around us demonstrates the truth and power and authority of the hate figure Jesus. And he's preparing his disciples and us for that reality. I was compelled as a, a young man, young boy, to follow Jesus. <clears throat> I tell you what, I found it absolutely mortifying. I was so embarrassed by the whole thing. And I had a pastor who was this big American dude. And he would wear shamrock ties. And I just wanted to crawl under a stone and die of embarrassment. And yet, I couldn't shake it. I was compelled by what I read in the pages of scripture about this Jesus. He had chosen me out of the world, whether I liked it or not. And I just had to come to terms with the fact that I didn't want to be some Jesus freak teenager. I had other things on my mind. <laughs> but I couldn't shake it. And so I encourage you, even if you feel that sense of shame or embarrassment or not wanting to take this on, open these words, soak them in, give them oxygen in your life. Journey with us through these questions. And if we don't feel much hatred, perhaps it is because we just don't say anything. And maybe we need to look at that. But if you do attract a lot of opposition, make sure it's not because you're being moronic in how you speak about Jesus and just plain unlikable in your approach to people and just outright offensive because of a lack of, lack of tact or kindness. Make sure that you're seeking to love your neighbor. There's a tension going on in, the, in, in how Jesus speaks. He says, you will be hated for my name, but also we need to be rounded we need to be good listeners. We need to be creative. We need to be tender. We need to be willing to listen. We need to be inclusive. We need to be honoring of others and their opposition and their dislike. Not defensive, not reactionary, not just plain difficult for no good reason. Nobody respects that. And there's no reason for that. Was Jesus like that? He is the one that we are called to be like. He's the role model here. He has been washing his disciples' feet. And he's the one who lays down his life for his friends. So expect hatred. But at the same time, make sure you're objective about the kind of heat you're attracting. And is it the right kind? Jesus goes on to say, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. But now they have seen these miracles and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now it's not that they were perfect and sinless beforehand. But now their opposition to Jesus and to God is inexcusable. Especially the religious types. They hate God. They stand for God but actually ironically they hate God. And it's nothing got to do with a lack of evidence. Jesus says, if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. So they, were, they had seen all the evidence they could ever need 
and yet they still chose to hate. You see, the opposition is more fundamental than a lack of evidence. It's not about a lack of evidence. It's about what they wanted to be true. Is this Jesus good? Is this faith good? Is this worth being excluded and disliked, even hated for? Is this worth addressing the things that I've always held to be true that may not be? What would my family, friends, peers, colleagues think? What will this mean for my everyday lifestyle choices? What if I end up isolated and lonely? Well, if Jesus is a hoax, and if there was not, no evidence in his favor, it's not even worth dipping your toe into this stuff, people. It's not worth even giving it a second thought. This is not a hobby. We're not here for recreational purposes. There are other things we could do if that were the case. We believe that these things are true, but if Jesus is God in the flesh, if he's devoted to his people, so devoted that he would wash their feet and die for their sin on the cross, if he was all he said he was, well, then that's worth everything. And that's where true belonging and love is found. And that is the pattern we are called to follow. No servant is above his master. So expect hatred and don't go astray. Why hate Jesus? With no good reason. Jesus says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus expected to be hated. He wasn't the first king to experience that. King David had experienced that, and now Jesus does. It didn't derail his purposes, but rather fulfill them. It showed how good and true his word and character is. Even hatred and opposition was beaten from the inside out. That's what Jesus achieves. And that fulfills their law. Do you notice how he says that in verse 25? This is to fulfill what is written in their law. Talking about the religious types, and often opposition and hatred at its most pointed comes from those who say that they represent God. The apostle Paul did that when he was Saul. He went around persecuting the church in the name of God till he met Jesus. And we've witnessed religious opposition close to home. You know that our own denomination in the Church of Ireland has kicked out Emmanuel from its books. Long story, but they've kicked us out. They took away, the Archbishop of Dublin took away the license of our director, promised the license to Cameron and then refused to give it. And generally just don't like us. There's all sorts of nonsense that, require me to explain more of that but these are people who say they're all about God and all about Jesus meanwhile they don't respect the gathering like ours opposition comes from those who hold the name of Jesus and globally Christians are ostracized killed in the name of God all around the world and that's what Jesus warns them of in the beginning of chapter 16 that they will do that they will take your life They'll kick you out, they will kill you, all in service to God as they perceive it. We'll learn more about how Jesus brings his spirit to bear on these realities so that they can persevere. But he is warning them. He is saying, expect hatred and don't go astray. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge how we, we like to be liked. We want to be liked, we want to be included, we want to be accepted. 
And yet we know, Father God, that there is opposition to what Jesus has to say. There's opposition to Jesus in every culture, in every generation. And we experience that in our context now. So we pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to hear your warning, to see that opposition demonstrates the reality of your truth, and would that embolden us to follow you. And we thank you for what John will go on to say about the presence and help of the Counselor, the Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that the presence of your Spirit with us would galvanize and equip us to speak for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.